Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a, at a point right now where they're, I think, clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sunbelt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eighth wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sunbelt these days. episode of Fun Belt Podcast. We talked about the Sun Belt West last week. This week, it is the gauntlet that is the Sun Belt East. We welcome in our normal contributors there, Jeremy Harper of HowlRaiser.com, Shane Metlin of the Daily News Record, and his partner in crime, Noah Fleshman, also of the Daily News Record. Welcome in, guys. How's, how's the week going? And, and let's get ready to talk Sun Belt East. Well, I can't speak for Noah. I definitely can't speak for Shane. But I had a great weekend. And you know why? My wife and kids were out of town. I, I, I drank a lot of beer. I drank a lot of booze. I ate a whole box of Triscuits all by myself. That was my dinner. So you're warming up for New Orleans next weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm carving up. I've got, I, ate a, I ate like a whole tray of cheese. I, I, I just, I lived the life. Yeah. So I hope Megan, my wife doesn't hear this podcast because I told her I was very productive, but I wasn't, I was, I was the least productive I've ever been. And I'm very happy. (laughs) No, Megan, my wife does not listen to this podcast. (laughs) So we get ready. Next week is the big week of Sunbelt Conference Media Days down in in New Orleans. Uh Uh-huh. It feels like it's App State and then everyone else. We ask our resident uh, James Madison guys to kind of chime in on that. What's the feeling of the Sunbelt Conference East as y'all come in? James Madison picked with six and a half wins as they're over under on the season, but they still got to go through Boone, North Carolina with the Mountaineers at eight and a half wins projected. Yeah, well, I don't necessarily see them winning in Boone, uh, but I think they're going to, I think JMU is going to be pretty solid, like whether or not they translate that into a winning record, I think is kind of up in the air, but I think they're going to be competitive pretty much in every game this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned App State. I also think Marshall's going to be very good. I think Coastal potentially is very good, depending on how, <clears throat> how far the quarterback position can carry them would be my take on them. Yeah, you know, I just think six and a half wins is kind of it's kind of high, especially for a team making the jump for the first time to the FBS. But I think that's like where we Shane and I talked about it before. Um, and I think that, you know, that's probably the the ceiling for them. But I think that, you know, four to five wins is probably more more realistic kind of going to year one. I mean, 
it's a big time jump and you only have one FCS team on the schedule. So I think it'd be hard, but I think that, you know, six is doable, but it's not, I don't think that's going to be the, uh, the floor. I think it's more of a ceiling for them. I, you know, when it comes to programs jumping from the FCS and, and to the Sunbelt specifically, we have seen Tibbs, we have seen sort of a balance between programs that weren't quite ready and needed a few years to sort of get a little bit of, of that experience beneath their belt and get ready. And I'm talking guys like Texas State and Georgia State and, and, and South Alabama. And then there have been some programs that didn't really need uh, <laughs> didn't really need that sort of uh, lay period at all. And I'm talking about Appalachian State. Georgia Southern had some really good seasons. So what is what is JMU? Are they going to be another Appalachian State, Georgia Southern? Or are they going to be a Texas State and a, a South Alabama that kind of needed a few seasons to, to, to figure some things out? They're closer to where Georgia Southern and Appalachian State were when they made the jump, but they're coming into a tougher conference. The Sun Belt right Absolutely. now is tougher than it was when they made the jump. So I think that'll be the difference between the number of wins. And they're not going to you know, finish first like Georgia Southern did their first year because, you know, the, they're just – there was no Appalachian State like Appalachian State is now. There wasn't a Heisman caliber – quarterback in the league at that point there's you know that's the big difference I think and I'm not quite with Noah on six and a half being the ceiling necessarily but I think it it depends so much on hate to like put it all on one guy but if JMU gets an excellent season from Tom Sateo they could beat anybody at quarterback they could beat anybody on the schedule if he's mediocre and throws a lot of interceptions which was sort of an issue for him at Colorado State, they might really struggle. And, you know, you hate to put so much on one guy, but, like, I really see that being kind of the key for JMU this this year. He's, he's a little bit of an unknown in this system. And, you know, if he can move the ball without turning it over, I think JMU's going to be pretty tough to beat at times. Well, one thing, and I'd love to hear Noah's perspective on this, is that what I have noticed what separates a great team in the group of five and in the Sun Belt and, and, and what sort of determines a team that struggles its depth. The starting 11 on either side of the ball can be just as good as anybody, but it's that, that depth. And coming in from the FCS, do you feel like JMU has that depth to compete, or is that going to be where it's going to take a couple seasons to really build up? Yeah, I think positionally, if you break it down by position by position, some positions have a ton of depth. I mean, running back is probably the the most deep room that JMU has. They've got they had two running backs last year that were out for the year. They're back healthy, and they've got nine guys. A pit transfer just left after not playing it down for JMU. So obviously, it's it's a deep room. But quarterback's kind of a question mark right now. I mean, Todd Santeo is obviously the the presumed starter, but they're still technically being in a battle. And I mean, they lost Demonte Tucker Dorsey, their their starting linebacker. So Linebackers are going to be super young, but I think they're kind of in the middle of the road. They're not a super deep team overall, but they definitely have a lot of positions that are deep, but there's also some that are that are, that are are thin throughout. Yeah, I mean, Noah really kind of sums it up. They had, they had guys from Boston College and Pitt who were starters in the ACC who came 
and left before the season started because they weren't going to crack the two deep. They're deep in some of those positions, but then linebacker and cornerback and some other areas are, are big question marks going forward. So it's, <laughs> there's no real solid answer on that. They're, they're deep, really deep some places and they're not so much in uh, some other key areas. So that, that's going to be a question mark is where they, where they stay healthy and where they don't. And, you know, may, maybe they'll end up moving some guys around because they're so deep in some areas. I don't know. Yeah. I would say they're probably deeper offensively than they are defensively kind of at this point. You know, I've, uh, uh, Tibbs and I've talked about this on the show a couple of times, especially in relation to talk about, uh, Georgia state, Georgia uh, and Texas state early in their, uh, times in the Sun Belt when they first entered it, that we would talk about something called FCS mentality. And FCS mentality is, is simply you're, you're kind of like the, the team is kind of holding on to processes that made them successful as FCS programs. But now you're playing in, a, in a, 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 an upper tier where you need to devote resources and money to certain places that you might not be used to defending, uh, uh, putting money into. I don't see that from JMU. I see, I, I don't see the, the, the FCS mentality happening for JMU. I, I see money already being spent on the programs, on facilities, on, 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 on all sorts of things. Can you, can you, do you agree with that? And can you give me some examples about how, uh, how JMU is going to avoid that kind of, uh, that stumble? I think yeah, for the most part, you're right on, especially when it comes to facilities and things like that. There's still some areas where, you know, Signetti's still asking for more staff, somebody mm. who's like full-time recruiting. Um, he's still doing a lot of grunt work himself, let alone like all his assistants and coordinators and everything. Uh, so I think that's a big thing for JMU. It's probably like the biggest when it comes to the investment is, yeah, they want some more staff behind them. Um like they're not even like quite to the Sun Belt level in that regard. Um, but I think that's probably like the main thing when it just comes to investment. And I think that's going to come, but they're probably a year or two behind some of the other programs in that regard. So do you agree with that? I do. I think that, you know, their, their actual facilities are kind of already up there. They just need to level the playing field with staff. And that, when we talked to Signetti in January, you kind of talked about that's probably going to take a year or two to kind of get up to speed and getting everyone hired and getting the budget set for that. But I think their, their stadium's nice. It'll fit in. And they maybe the only thing that they're missing facility-wise is probably an indoor facility, but I think that that'll come down the line. But that's probably the top thing that they're missing right now outside of what they already have. But I think they can live without it for a couple of years. They did in the FCS and it worked out, but I think that's probably the next move that if they're going to build something, it'll probably be a, an indoor facility somewhere. So James Madison really picked in the middle of the pack there, six and a half wins, so to say. Looking at the bottom, is it more surprising to see Georgia Southern at four and a half or Old Dominion at four and a half as they get ready to kind of go through that rebuild at Georgia Southern and Old Dominion coming into the league? I think Old Dominion's more of a surprise. I, I see them winning more than four games, four and a half, five. Like, I could see them challenging in the East, honestly, depending on how things go. Um, they were playing really well towards the end of the season last year. And after taking 2020 off, they were, you know, I think one of the few teams that decided not to play at all with COVID. Um, you know, it made sense that they started out slow last season, but 
you know, they were really competitive conference USA in the second half of the season. They took Marshall down to the wire. I think, I think they could have a chance to be really competitive and probably get back to a bowl game like they made it last year. So why do you think that the, the, the prognosticators only see four and a half wins from them? I mean, I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, they, they won six games last year. They're moving into a tougher conference. Like they don't think they'll do as well, but I mean, I mean, you just really look, they won, what was it? Five or six in a row down the stretch. Um, they were a different team in November than they were in early September. It was just, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like they're going to continue to build off of what they did last year. No, what do you think of Georgia Southern coming in and, and uh, uh, maybe a fresh perspective from our point? Tibbs and I, and I believe Shane, it, it kind of, I, I can't speak for you, Shane, but I think you feel the same way. It's kind of a hot mess right now in uh, Statesboro. Uh, and, and we've got the new coach there, the celebrated uh, uh, coach Clay Helton coming in going to do some things that we haven't ever seen in uh, Statesboro before. What's your take on Georgia Southern? I'm glad you said yeah. play. <laughs> I know. I always, <laughs> I always call him something else. No, yeah, I think, you know, you have a new coach. They have a new quarterback as well coming in from Buffalo. So, I mean, obviously it's going to be probably a work in progress. And, I mean, you know, it's a tough conference. You have a new coach and a new quarterback. It's not a, anything easy to do. And I think that, you know, they could struggle. I think it probably will be a struggle, not as much of a struggle. I mean, I don't think, you know, we can turn it back to like a JMU point of view. I don't think that JMU struggles as, as much as Georgia Southern might this year, just based on having a little bit more stability in a program. But obviously taking over a program, a guy that had, at least knows how to run a, a major program to so coming in, it's a, a group of five and at least he can get it on its feet, but it might take a couple of years to, you know, install everything with, with Coach Helson and getting everything like that underway. Yeah, I think, you know, you switch you switch styles so drastically. They've had some sort of option football there for so long. All these guys, basically, you know, know it was such a, you know, they had to go out and find a new quarterback because yeah. they needed somebody who could run a different system. I'm sure it's similar for offensive line, receivers, everybody. Nobody was really recruited to play this kind of football. So I can see it taking them a few years. I, I imagine Clay Hilton's probably going to end up being a pretty solid hire for them, but I don't know if it's going to show this year. <laughs> you know, it's immediate results. <laughs> I, I I think that the, he's inheriting a pretty big mess that he is the right guy for the job. He will get it done. I just don't think this is the year. So I would definitely take the under there at four and a half. I just don't see them competing this year in the Sunbelt Conference. I would love to be wrong again, as always. But I think that they're going to get a good false sense of hope when they open up against Morgan State in the, in the opener. I think that they're going to trounce the Bears like there's no tomorrow. But that'll be the highlight of the season for them. They may sneak in and get a, a, a few more wins, but I just don't see them being the team to beat this year. Surprisingly, in the middle of the pack is Marshall at six and a half wins. Guys, I didn't realize this. Marshall returns only one quarterback that has thrown a pass. <laughs> you know what? But here's the thing about the Sun Belt in terms of quarterbacks is that you have kind of less than a handful of really experienced guys with their teams coming in. And then you've got a, a lot of freshmen and sophomore and transfers coming in. So to me, Marshall's is kind of like uh, kind of a, just tit or a, a good representative of what's going on in the Sun Belt right now. I mean, you have Appalachian State. 
and you have uh, Coastal Carolina bringing in two very experienced quarterbacks. Everyone else, not so much. I'm not sure why Marshall gets docked, though, six, uh, only six and a half games, pretty much the same season as JMU is. Maybe you East Coast guys can give us a little bit of a, uh, of a, uh, I don't know, shed some light on that mystery for us. I mean, I think they're going to be well above six and a half wins. Um, I mean, you just look at their schedule. They're most of the way there before middle of October. Like in my mind, I don't, <laughs> I don't see them struggling that much in the second half of the season. Um, even though the schedule gets harder, uh, you know, I mean, like similar to JMU, a lot of it's going to come down to bringing in transfer quarterback and Sonny Columbia, who has played at the power five level, similar to Todd Santeo though. He, he's had those moments where he, you know, throws bad passes and makes interceptions and things like that. But like, I can't see him struggling to the degree that Marshall doesn't have some success this year. I, I, I feel like they're ready-made for Sunbelt. I mean, he's had several starts at Texas Tech, if I'm not wrong. So, uh, yeah, it's not like they're they're digging from the bottom of the barrel and bringing in a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of experience. No, I think the guy though that, that, that carries the the thundering herd more than anybody, and we'll actually hear from him next week at Sunbelt Conference Media Days. Rashina Lee, the running back. I think that he is a guy that carried them a lot last year, over a thousand yard rusher. He almost single-handedly beat the Raging Cajuns in the New Orleans Bowl, so he's got a what it takes we know to play in the Sun Belt Conference. Oh, and he's just an exciting guy to watch. I, I was watching him play against Appalachian State early in the year last season, and I was just astounded by uh, what how this guy changes the the, the 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 game for the the thundering herd. Little dismayed he was. He was still coming back after after last season, but because uh, I, I really hate to see him wrecking my team. Uh, Noah, what do you think about that running game for Marshall? It's it's actually gotten a lot of buzz. No, yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, a consensus of the whole Sun Belt as a whole. Running back is, is kind of deep throughout the conference, and I think that Marshall really, that might carry them, and especially the new quarterback, and if you have a it's, solidified run game you can kind of lean on that at least early in the year until you get comfortable but you know Shane and I talked about the whole schedule before and and I had Marshall coming to Harrisonburg and beating champion so that's kind of what I think of, of Marshall I think they're they're a good team and I don't think it's going to take them kind of too long to get adjusted to to the Sun Belt and you know just they'll be ready to go and I think that even with the new quarterback but he's got experience and you talk about their running back room so I think overall they'll, they'll be fine. Is the pressure you think this year on Georgia State to kind of repeat what they were able to pull off last year? They, I mean, picked at seven and a half wins. They have Darren Granger coming back at quarterback, but lost a couple of guys, including the in-state receiver that wound up going up to Coastal Carolina. Is this really the, the Panthers' year to shine, or is this a year that there may be a little bit of a, a letdown for us? I, I'm predicting letdown, and I, I and only because one. I, I think Granger's a great quarterback, but they did lose that 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 great wide receiver. Pickney, Pickney, Pickney. I always I, I always have a hard time with that one, but you know he went off to Coastal Carolina. Uh, one, the strength of, to me of Georgia State will always be that offensive line. If the offensive line plays as well as it did last year, they should be in the hunt. Uh, but I just can't help but to think back of how things started last year. They start off with that, that heralded quarterback. I suddenly, his name slips my mind. 
but for two games, Cornelius the fifth, whatever. Brown. Yeah, Cornelius Brown. He was supposed to have this fantastic season, was was kind of predicted to be one of the top three quarterbacks in the entire Sun Belt. He completely fell apart. Granger comes in, and it really is the real deal. He can run. He can throw the ball. I just think, I don't know. I felt like Georgia State was kind of playing above their heads last season. I think it'll be really hard for them to duplicate it this season. Yeah, I mean, if you look at who they're playing this year, it's it's not an easy schedule. I mean, they make road trips to Marshall, App State, and JMU, but they also have non-conference games with North Carolina, South Carolina, and the Army. So, I mean, not an easy, you know, that's six games right there on their schedule, and that's not an easy start. So, you know, I think that's, that, that in itself is a, is a hurdle and obstacle to get around. Yeah, and that yeah. Army game they played last year really exposed them. <laughs> they got trashed by Army last year so i I hope they've lost i hope they've learned some lessons from that yeah and if they don't if they don't take care of business against charlotte i think is you know the conference usa team that got on the schedule like that first five or six weeks of the season could be rough and i mean if you're sitting there with you know one or no wins midway through the season then you got to try to keep everybody together and positive moving forward getting into a tough conference schedule it it could be rough on them if they don't come out of the gate pretty strong. I definitely think that that third week there is the the big week in the Sunbelt Conference where you'll really kind of know who the pretenders and who the contenders are. To me, in that third week, as you said, Charlotte-Georgia State game. But I think that the Georgia Southern UAB and then opening up a conference action of Troy App State are really going to be some games that really make or break people's seasons. I don't know if we want to get into it full steam today but i really think week one is going to be huge for for the sunbelt as a whole just kind of uh setting the tone and making sure that making sure people kind of you know have a positive a positive outlook for the sunbelt because it's you it, it really kind of will determine i think how people look at the conference going forward after they start beating up on each other yeah, and when you look at, at the East, they did not do themselves a lot of favors with that first uh, week scheduling, Tibbs. You got ODU opening with Virginia Tech. You've got JMU opening up with always a tough Middle Tennessee group and Georgia State with South Carolina. And then, you know, Army taking on Coastal. And Army always makes makes their uh, the first of the season opponents look like idiots with their, with their strange – uh, offense. So th- 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 this is going to be a really tough order for the Sunbelt East, which is going in looking to be the toughest conference or toughest part of the conference. May not look so tough after week one. It definitely gets started on that Friday night when Virginia Tech does travel to Old Dominion. Is there a lot that you can really take away from that Friday night game? Of, of Do you feel that it really does set the tone for the conference? Or do you feel that those Saturday games, like the North Carolina App State games, are going to be more in line of, of what we can expect from the Sunbelt Conference? I I think both ODU and App State have a decent chance to win at home. And I think if you get one of those, that's going to be pretty big. Um, like Jeremy said, beating Army week one is always a challenge. I think I look at the JMU Middle Tennessee State game as a one that's a pretty big one for the conference as a whole because, you know, I think – if you count Liberty as a Conference USA team, I think they're going to go to Southern Miss and win. 
And I think just from Sunbelt, from a bragging rights perspective, from a, you know, look at all this alignment stuff, you don't want to lose to these Conference USA teams. Even, even it doesn't mean anything necessarily if Southern Miss and JMU lose. But I think, I think, you know, just from a perception point of view, you want JMU to win that game if you're a Sunbelt fan. Oh, well, I, I can't speak for everybody here, but I, I feel like the Sunbelt has a special hatred for Conference USA that we see them as rivals, not necessarily on the field rivals. We seem to see each other as as business rivals, you know, whether we're taking acquisitions from each other or not. So it would be nice, yes, to see <laughs> to see Sunbelt programs put a thumping the Conference USA because the last thing we need to hear from them is, gee, we're the strongest conference, so we don't really need any of that bullshit. That's for absolute sure. Tibbs, aren't we getting into the, the hairy part of the Sunbelt East? We are. And so my question to you, uh, who, who, who do you think is your favorite and who is the dark horse for the East? And I'll, I'll, I'll kick that off. I think the favorite is still App State. I think okay. with them returning the people's running back, they returned uh, Chase Bryce. Yeah. Sean Clark's back. We know that he has – things well in hand for the Mountaineers. I think it's theirs to lose in the East. You know, to me, the dark horse though, that is going to come in uh-huh. and make a lot of noise in the East. All right, go ahead. Your thunder and herd is my pick. The dark horse uh-huh. to win the East. All right. Well, you know, I, I agree with you on Appalachian state. You know what? What I was looking at the quarterbacks for the Sun Belt, and I remember Phil Steele, our good friend, Phil Steele, regular contributor to the Fun Bill podcast, uh, was really high on Grayson McCall and, and was pretty much saying Coastal was was one of the was going to be one of the top teams in the East based solely on the strength of Grayson McCall. And I agree. Grayson McCall's a great quarterback, put up some tremendous numbers last year. Bryce put up almost identical numbers and doesn't seem to get the same sort of, of uh, accolades as Grayson McCall does. I guess he needs to grow a mullet and, 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 and work on his personal brand a little bit. But Bryce is every bit as good. The only thing Bryce has that's a little different than Grayson McCall is Grayson McCall is a little more careful with the ball. He doesn't throw so many uh, interceptions. Uh, that being said, I think Bryce is on, on tap for a, a, an amazing year this year. I, I don't see Appalachian State losing the Sun, or the Sun Belt East. But if there's one team that 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 can cause some problems in the East, that could maybe be the the mustard, the mustard, the fly in the mustard. Uh, I I have to agree with you, Tibbs. It's the herd. I think they just simply have a, one of the best rush attacks uh, that they could possibly have. I know there's a question mark at quarterback, and that's going to smooth it out itself out as the season goes on. Uh, and if I had a really, really, really dark horse, guys, I'm going with JMU. We don't know much about JMU. JMU has that sort of Georgia Southern Appalachian State mystique about it. That when those two teams entered the 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 Sun Belt back in what was it, 2014 or 15 or whenever it was, we didn't really know a whole lot about. It. We just knew that they were solid programs. We didn't realize how far along they were. And if JMU is in that sort of ballpark. They could be the guys that are really causing some problems. I think if you're right about JMU, it's going to be because, like I said, one, they got really good play from Todd Santeo, and they had better injury luck than they had last season. 
they're going to have to stay healthy against, you know, teams that are going to beat up on them more week to week than they saw last year. I mean, just, you know, they, they were able to pull guys in the fourth quarter of most of their games last year, not going to be the same situation this time around. We'll see how much that kind of like piles up as the season goes along. I, I still think, you know, one of App State, Coastal, or Marshall is going to be in a championship game when it's all said and done. What you got, Noah? I guess I'll just stick with the App State train, obviously. For oh, everyone's kind of already touched on that. Out. No, we need, a, we need some kind of controversy. Say something like, oh, I think it's Old Dominion. Well, Georgia's not going to win it all. We already know. but <laughs> They probably will. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that, you know, App State's just too good to not really lose it unless something crazy happens with injuries or whatnot. But I think, you know, someone making noise, you know, you talk about JMU, and I think it, it comes down to quarterback play, but also comes down to their defense. Because, I mean, they lost a lot from the defense a year ago, and that was a defense that got them to the, the FCS semifinals and played pretty well throughout the year. And now they lost their their defensive leader in Diamante Tucker Dorsey, who's at Texas now, and they're going to have freshmen and sophomores at linebacker to start the year. So obviously not a not an old thing out there, but the secondary is going to be old, so you never know. I mean, I think, you know, that's what's going to power JMU is the quarterback is one, but I think the defense as a unit is probably going to be the question mark going into the year. And if, if they step up to the task and play, you know, these quarterbacks that they only saw once a year, non-conference play of, you know, it's, an, it's a legit quarterback. And I'm going to see it every game, basically. So I think that's the question is, can they keep up with an FBS quarterback and FBS offense as a whole? And that'll be the question. So you're taking JMU to win the East. That's why yep, that's it. They're going to go. Um, they're going to. Yes. Well, what would happen if they won the East? Would their second place team go to the the conference championship game? Yeah, I think what? That's, that's the case. I believe they're not. They, they're not. They can't yeah, win it. They 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 can't they can't win the conference championship. All the more reason that that JMU. You're right. They will win the East. <laughs> and then and then App State will go to the championship yeah, game yeah. and win that. So there's my there you go. Wait a second. Help me out here. <laughs> JMU can't win. They can't win. What? They can't play in a bowl game. This they cut the transition period in half, but this first year they're not eligible for the champion conference championship or bowl game. Uh, yeah. You know what? That that's why we have you guys on to educate me. I'm sure Tibbs knew. Yes, Tibbs probably knew all about that. But you know what? I've been eating nothing but cheese and drinking beer and booze all weekend. It was probably in my head at some point and it just evaporated. So sorry about that. That sucks for JMU. It would be cool, though, if you won it and just sort of sat back and said, nah, we're good. We're just going to enjoy the trophy, and that's it. I, Crazier things have happened in the, in, in the good old fun belt. So with that said, Noah, obviously you were not here last week. JMU, when they win the East, who are they facing in the West? Who are they going to face in the West? You know, I could get really crazy here and just say someone like, you know, Arkansas State or something, but I think we'll go with with Louisiana. I think Louisiana will keep it going. <laughs> they lost too much, Noah. They've lost too much stuff. They can't win. They can't do it. It's going to be Texas State. Even though that hurts you to cheer on your bitter rivals, the Boobcats. Well, I wrote a story uh, in Hellraiser saying I really need like, like uh, their their new quarterback, 
to make some kind of mean statement about Arkansas State, like they're lazy and weak or they're un-American or something just crazy. So we can finally have that Texas State, Arkansas State rivalry that I know America is rooting for. It just we just don't quite it's just not quite there yet. So I'm hoping that this Lane Hatcher being the starting quarterback for the Bobcats, which is even uh, a certainty. They've got a couple guys out there that could that could do that. That would be tremendous. That would be a tremendous thing because we really need that sort of hated rivalry. We just don't have that regional setup that that has that natural rivalry like you guys got. So I'm hoping it's going to I'm hoping there's some hatred steaming for the Bobcats in Jonesboro. I hope that that recipe finally comes to fruition. This just the hate pie that we can all bite into and really enjoy it come November when the game finally happens. We'll just wait till realignment brings Memphis to the Sun Belt, and then that'll be a, a great rivalry for Arkansas State. We hate Memphis. I, I know. <laughs> like, I know perfect. that would that would be great. We would love that. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll probably all be absorbed in the new Big Twelve at some point. So we we can all no, <laughs> no that's not happening. Southland or bust. We'll just we'll 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 just swallow the pride and go down. Hey, that's the FCS mentality I was talking about. There, you need to get you need to get out of that, Tibbs. I know ULM, you know, is struggling on at all facets. It's not time to give up, Tibbs. It's time to 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 double down. Make your donations. We're talking the East right now, Jeremy. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. The East. So JMU, JMU to the ACC is what's going to happen. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> No, we appreciate you joining us tonight on Major League Baseball Draft. Give us your quick hit there, JMU, with one of the top collegiate players there of Chase DeLauder. Where do you see us hearing Chase's name in the draft, which by the time we publish this, it'll already be out? Yeah, you know, I think he he gets picked kind of in the 19 to, to 25 range. I mean, there was a bunch of mock drafts, you know, as there always are, and that's where most of them have them, I mean, going. I think if we're going to go somewhere with a specific pick, I'm going to have him going to the Mariners at 21 just because the Mariners GM is a VCU alum. I'm a VCU alum. I think, you know, he'll make the right pick and take, you know, Chase Lauder who entered the year as top collegiate outfielder. And now he, he is uh, in the top five still there, but you know, a couple injuries kind of hurt his stock a little bit, but 21 is where I'm going to have him going. Seattle. Now, Noah, are you a classic MLB draft dork, one of those guys that stays up for every all 3,000 rounds and, and, and sort of does sort of the analysis where they're going to go, if they're going to make it to the to the big leagues or not, what trade should be done? Are you that guy? No, well, luckily it's only 20 rounds this year, so no. But, you know, I'm the guy that has the MLB draft tracker on my phone, and, you know, we follow, I follow it, and – We'll see who gets picked in the 19th round on Tuesday. But other than that, no, I'm not going to stay up and watch the – not going to tune in at 2 o'clock tomorrow to watch, you know, the 10th round happen. Shane, are you that guy? No. I I mean, I, I'm a I'm a Major League Baseball fan, but, uh, yeah, no, I'll wait and see how they start doing in the minors before I worry too much about some of these guys. But You know, Shane more- privately said, you know, he's making his debut tomorrow, so – what was that? You said you, you said you know you didn't you don't you don't remember when you said Delauder is going to debut on like Tuesday on like Tuesday after the draft? Oh yeah, oh of course yeah. <laughs> that I, was I, awesome. I always tried to sneak my name in the draft board when I was supporting the draft for the Astros, hoping that somehow I would fall and become like the twentieth round draft pick. 
in hopes. <laughs> and, I, and I would even go to the head of scouting and be like, look, a left-handed junk ball, knuckleballer. I said, I'm all in. He goes, well, you're not draft, el- draft, draft eligible anymore. You're too old and you're not worth a free agent spot. So it just crushed my dreams in every which way possible. You've got a knuckleball? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Well, we'll have to see that in New Orleans when we get together. Shane, are you going to New Orleans? I am not. No, Noah's going to be there for us. I'll be doing some remote access things. Uh, we'll be represented. Noah's, Noah's right. got control, but yeah. I, you know what? It just, it's just too bad, Shane, because I think we could have used your, 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 your guiding hand at this, your wise counsel. And you're just not going to be there. You'll be there online. That's great. But we could really have used your physical presence. You know what? I went up to dinner the other night. Yeah. And the place the place had beignets on the menu for dessert. And that was the first time I was really kind of like, I probably should have gone. <laughs> uh, well, quite frankly, this will be the first year that I'm there in person. So uh, I, I can't give you too much crap about that. Tibbs, how many times have you gone to this? Uh, a lot. Yeah. All the way dating back to the first one they had in uh, when was that probably around 2007, 2008 got to hang out with Mario Cristobal as he took over the FIU golden Panthers. Wow. Been there for Howard Snellenberger playing craps on the riverboat with Rusty Smith, the all American quarterback there at FAU. Yeah. Yeah. Hung out with player Michael DeZormo. <laughs> what? The raging Cajuns. Hang on. So what can Noah and I expect? We're newbies. Uh, Noah, have you been to this before? No, of course not. Why would you? So what can Noah and I expect as the, uh, when, the, uh, when we arrived at Sunbelt Media Day? So my days were always obviously pre-COVID. So I don't know how much COVID is okay. really going to change all this. But there was always a big media dinner shindig the night before. It was great to see the coaches, coaches' wives kind of Relax. There was no real pressure that they had to be, you know, yeah. constant coach talk and things like that. Okay. Um, always had great conversations with Joey Jones of South Alabama in the past there. And it was just a really time to get to know the coach as individuals. And, and you get to hear the great stories also from coaches' wives that sometimes are even better than what the coaches have to say of, of the way recruitment really went down, how they really wound up at different schools it's always great to hear the behind the scenes stories, not stuff that you can really repeat, but it's still good to kind of have that knowledge and, and, and laugh along with the stories. Then when the first day rolls around, this is the first time they're really breaking it down where it's a true East West day. So normally you were trying to cram all 10, 12 teams in, in one, one city, trying to grab athletic directors, players, coaches, personalities, and everyone else that was there. So it'll be interesting this year to kind of see how relaxed it is when you have a chance of two days to really only focus on the East or the West and still be able to get everything in. And of course, there's always the big media dinner as well. As I said, uh, great media gifts that you'll always remember your Sunbelt Media Days with. Will there be money handed under the table for positive coverage? I'll hand it to you and then we'll go to Harris. Because if there is, I'm changing my name to Shane Milton and uh, just to avoid any kind of uh, legal uh, imbruglios because uh, I, I will not be good in person. Listen, I'm also concerned about Noah and I, too. If we were to, I don't know, have too much to drink, will we wake up in a bathtub full of ice and our organs missing? Yes, because I have college tuition due. <laughs> Noah, we thank you for joining us the first time of, I'm sure, many times this year with our partnership there with the 
the Daily News record. Looking forward to having you in and talking with you next week in New Orleans as well. You got you, you got to get us, you know, the more lively Shane. So we, we got to work on getting yeah. him more rowdy than he has been in the past. Well, as I said, you know, Arkansas State's winning the whole Sunbelt this year. That's where we're going to put it. That's all I need. That's all the rowdiness I need to sustain me. So thank you very and, much. And Noah's verified on Twitter, so you know it's got to be true. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, so I bet I bet Shane goes completely ape shit the moment that uh, JMU beats uh, Middle Tennessee this year. He'll be totally <laughs> smug and talking yeah. about ten wins and maybe a, a playoff berth. Well, we know how Shane is. <laughs> We've seen the yeah. Shane. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like me. <laughs> And again, after they beat a, a ranked Louisville on the road, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's gonna. He's gonna be insufferable. <laughs> and we're like, yes, yes. We're still. We're already buying tickets for New Orleans for the uh, for the big uh, playoff game. You know that kind of stuff. So Shane is all like uh, low key and modest now, but we know that once football season starts, he's just a big animal. Of course, no. Uh, actually higher on JMU basketball for once, probably. Uh, I think that's where they might get their conference championship here uh, in the first Oh, <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking. That's See, that's the kind of arrogance I'm looking for right there. Let's do it. I'm already the conference, did, the conference did release the Sunbelt Conference schedule. We can tackle that as well. It's It's – it's a mess. It gets started as always, right, right at the end of the, the year, yeah. late December. What are your thoughts there on your team's schedule? There was some grousing amongst circles around Arkansas State about some of the trips that they weren't paired very well. Like there wasn't good travel partnering provided. Now, I didn't dig too deep in that, but it does seem like there are some crazy trips for everybody to have to take. I don't know if that's something that you can fix in scheduling or not, but that is really the only, the only sort of bubble that that's, that came to the top in my community. Yeah. I mean, you look at even the ULM schedule, they open up at Texas state, then go to Arkansas state before returning home for several games. It's a mess. And then later in the season, you have them going to Troy, to Marshall, and James Madison. The only kind of road swing they have that makes sense is at, at Southern Miss, at the Raging Cajuns, and then at South Alabama. That's the only real regional draw that you have there. Huh. Yeah. I kind of wonder, to some degree, there was a lot of talk at the conference meetings and everything. Coaches and administrators, everybody saying – People need to start taking charter flights. And I kind of, part of me was thinking like, they scheduled us to show people that they need to start paying for charter flights for basketball. Cause they said that was one of the things they needed to do to improve the basketball, the basketball product in the conference. And I kind of wonder if that was, you know, maybe a little bit of the motivation behind hmm. the scheduling, like in, in some ways that's unavoidable. In some ways, I wonder if they're saying like, you, know, you want to make this easier on yourselves. You're going to have to spend a little money. But do, do you think you you necessarily have to charter a flight, or can you do like baseball and just try to cram everybody in on a commercial flight? Potentially, but then there's also you know, it's not easy to get from Huntington to Hattiesburg or you know wherever some of these places are. If you're going from 
Atlanta to wherever, you can find pretty commercial flights pretty easily. It, it gets tougher with some places. You know, if you're playing at JMU, you're either flying out of a tiny airport that has two flights a day or you're getting on a bus to go to D.C. or Richmond or somewhere to get a commercial flight. So it, there's some challenges depending on where you are in this conference as far as you know, travel. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you're flying in and out of San Marcos. You're definitely making the, the small trip over to Austin or even over to San Antonio. So I, I definitely think there's buses involved regardless where you are to jump on a flight short of, you know, the Atlantas or anything like that. Um, Monroe with its international airport there, and you can go to Dallas, you can go to Atlanta. I tell you what, when you guys make that first winter trip to Boone, yeah, yeah, that will be a challenge. Uh, that's a challenge for anybody. Yeah, Boone, especially in basketball, it seems like they're unstoppable uh, at home. And it's simply because it, 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 it seems just to suck the life out of you <laughs> to get into Boone. It's like you have to fight the Visigoths to get to it. It's, it's impossible. Agree with me, Tibbs. Yeah, Boone sucks to get to. Uh, even on a charter flight, when yeah. you fly into Hickory and then have to bus to Banner Elk to spend the night in a motel, not a hotel, motel, external door, with it, with it white stuff falling from the sky. That is not meant for us Southerners. Oh, yeah. You know, every time they have like an aerial shot of the Appalachian State campus, it's like it looks it's like beautiful. It's beautiful. It is, but it's hard to get to. It's like going to New Zealand. It's impossible. It's supposed to be, you know, in, in the East Coast. It's not. When we fly up there, Jeremy, I'll just push you out of the plane. Uh, that might be the easiest way to get to Boone. No parachute, though. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fine. I'll just roll out. Stuntman roll. Tip, let's do our parting shots. I love it. Yeah. Well, what, what do you have for us there? Who, me? No. Oh, promos and parting shots there, Noah. It's our chance to kind of plug your site. Plug what you're working on. Give a parting shot around the news world, sporting world, and so forth. Hmm. You know, you can always follow me on the, on Twitter. We can always do that. But you know, you can always get ready to get. I got some golf stuff coming this week, so just Absolutely. stay tuned. We got some. You know, Jamie, the golf world is all of a sudden popping off. They had someone at the Open. They've got a woman going to the U.S. Women's Amateur. So you know, I think we got some golf stuff coming up. Shane, what do you have? All right, for a parting shot, I'm going to go Vinny Pascontino again for the ODU people. Homered yesterday. He's hitting the ball <laughs> like for my Royals. So that's my uh, parting shot again. Hopefully that continues. He got his vaccine, so he got to go to Toronto. I'm like half the Royals. So very, very happy with him right now. So for the ODU fans, we're, we're, uh, <clears throat> we're simpatico when it comes to Vinny. Um, for a little plug – Coming soon, hopefully, I don't know exact launch date, but there's going to be a lot more Sunbelt stuff on the DNR website, um, have Sunbelt extra stuff coming up. So hopefully have more solid information on that here in the next week or two, but people can uh, look for that and uh, search for Sunbelt extra on Twitter if you want to start following that and we'll get some stuff. Uh, I, you know, my shout out, Tibbs, is about your favorite sport, and that would be golf. I want to shout out to the Aussie who won the British Open this, or I guess early this afternoon. It was nighttime wherever they were playing the British Open, but it was early afternoon here to Cameron, 
Cameron Smith, who uh, won the Open in, in spectacular fashion. I think he had something like seven birdies in a row to catch up with Rory McElroy and, and used his putter to make these just amazing one-putt shots uh, to win the British Open. So congratulations to, to Cameron, who looks like a guy who might know where a secret cigarette machine might be if you see him you'll understand what i'm talking about also check out hal razor i i dig shallowly into the quarterback situation for every team take a look at it see who's coming in who's coming out there's a lot of new faces showing up behind center for the uh for the sun belt on warhawkreport.com, had a recent sit down with President Ron Berry to give updates of Warhawk Athletics as well as the other side of the bayou on the academic side. So all of that is up along with a link to the recorded video of that interview. Now, are you guys joining the Southland? Is that why you mentioned that earlier? Is that what we're going to find out if we... Re- Not in the least bit. And there was actually a great story that he told on there about when... Uh, Keith Gill first became commissioner and he had a meeting with a chancellor that was the overall of the president's kind of a frank discussion that happened of uh, that chancellor wanting to know what ULM's commitment was to athletics and how they were going to uh, be competitive in the Sun Belt. And so Dr. Barry really kind of rehashes that story and, and gives a lowdown on that. In addition, the parting shot, guys, the, the, the realignment is still happening, but as we talked last week with Phil Steele about, I don't think anything's going to happen in the Sun Belt. I don't think anything's going to happen in the G5 as a whole. I think you're just going to see the cannibalization of the P5. They're going to kill one another off, and we're all actually going to benefit from it when we can have our own true national title amongst the G5. Wow, I like it, Tibbs. Bold predictions. I think it's a strong possibility. I think the Sun Belt's in such a good spot to just sit and wait and see what happens. And if they jump on something, that's fine. If they keep the 14 they have, like everybody loves it. Like making the moves they made a year ago are going to pay off pretty strong for the Sun Belt, I, I believe. Absolutely, Shane. You know what? What I felt like the last round of realignment, I felt like there's a lot of stress to do something, to make a splash, to, to show that you're in it for the long haul. I feel like right now the Sun Belt sort of in a position of power doesn't really have to do anything. They can just sort of let the chips fall where they fall and take take advantage in any way they can. So absolutely, we're in good shape. The rest of the college football world could fall apart and Marshall still wants to play Appalachian State every year. Jamie still wants to play ODU every year. Yeah. <clears throat> Arkansas State and Texas State are going to be a rivalry. Oh, the hated rivalry. That's so heated, Shay. I mean, there is just nothing but vitriol between here and San Marcos. I, I, I wish that you could feel this, the heat, the hatred that's going on between the two all the way out where in Virginia. I know you can't quite feel it from there, but I'm telling you, it's hot. I know that Tibbs just feels it. You feel it, right? Don't you, Tibbs? You feel the hatred. Yeah, go boobcats.